it's a great morning to be here next, so we're glad that you could be here. Podcasters, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, we're honored that you would be with us as well, and um, we hope that you find that next adds some value to your life today, and that whenever you leave out of here, you feel encouraged and inspired and challenged and motivated to get better and grow into the person that God has designed you to be. Today is week four of our series, Stuff Jesus Said. Jesus said some stuff, and he said some stuff on purpose with the intent that we would not just listen to it, not just hear it, but actually do it. And so in the previous weeks, we've dug into what Jesus said about deny yourself and take up your cross Love each other as I have loved you. We've been in just this warm, fuzzy love season here and next. We talked about love each other as I have loved you. And then last week was love your neighbor. And we're going to stay in this same direction one more week and look at one more thing that Jesus said about love. I want to talk to you today about some stuff Jesus said about love your enemies. Good stuff today. Y'all ever have one of those moments where somebody says something and and you laugh, but then you have to stop laughing because you realize they were serious? That's what happens to me whenever I read this passage from Luke. <clears throat> Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. says, but to you who are listening, this is Jesus talking, to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, well, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, well, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Jesus was being serious. He wasn't kidding about this stuff. And he wasn't speaking in hyperbole. He wasn't trying to make a joke by talking in extremes. He was teaching a real expectation that he has of his children. Y'all. This is a problem for me. This is a real problem for me. Can I, can I be honest? 
I don't want to love my enemies. In my worst moments, I want to hurt them. I I want to expose them. I want to undermine them. And I want to make them pay. Or if I don't make them pay, I hope somebody else makes them pay. Vengeance is mine. Stay at the Lord. God bless you. Get them, Jesus. And in my, that's in my worst moments. In my best moments, I simply want to ignore them. Pretend like they don't exist. Cut them out of my life. Cut them out of my circle of people that matter. Well, you don't matter anymore. Here's the circle. You're, on, you're outside the circle. Boundaries and all that. And if I can't retaliate, then I can, if, if you know, I'm trying to be Jesus-y that day, and, and I don't retaliate, then what I can do is at least just wait until something or someone comes along that gets them. And I can enjoy with like this secret warm satisfaction of knowing that they got what they deserved in the end. And I didn't have to do anything wrong in the process. So it's a win-win. So righteous. So Christian. So Jesus-y. But Jesus says that none of that behavior that I just described is an option for a follower of his. If you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a disciple, none of those desires are an option for you. None of those desires are an option for you. Jesus commands that I love my enemies. I can't hate others, even if they hate me first. There's no qualifier. Well, let's pull, uh, let's pull a tactic from Scripture, because we saw uh, a, a week ago the young lawyer who wanted to, to validate and, and get himself off the hook, right, and reduce his liability, and he said, well, well, who are my neighbors? Well, let's, let's, let's try this. Who are, who are my enemies? Okay, if i got to love them, then who are they? Let's define it. Let's qualify and quantify what Jesus meant by enemies. Because maybe if I can get a grip on what Jesus actually meant, it won't be so bad. I mean, Jesus isn't unreasonable, right? So who are my enemies? Verses 27 and 28 of Luke 6 say, My enemy is someone who hates me, curses me, and abuses me. And I, that, that definitely sounds like an enemy. All right. Now, Jesus doesn't say why they view me as their enemy. He doesn't explain if it's because I did something wrong that I shouldn't have done. In other words, I hurt them. Or maybe I didn't do something that I should have done, so there were unmet expectations. Or maybe that other person is just evil, and they've got bad motives. Or maybe we're both good people and we just misunderstand each other. There's a miscommunication. Jesus doesn't explain all that. He simply identifies them as my enemy because of their attitude toward me. Not my attitude toward them. It's not the people that I abuse and that I curse and that I mistreat. It's the people that abuse me and mistreat me and curse me. It's their attitude toward me that defines them as an enemy. Did you catch that? 
It's their attitude, their attitude toward me, not my attitude toward them that's significant. Jesus says, Jason, you shouldn't treat others in a way that makes them your enemy, but you should recognize when someone regards you as their enemy. Now, following me? So now I'm busted, right? Deer in the headlights right here. Because I know deep down, folks, that I do view some people as my enemy. Not in an obvious way, but in the secret places of my heart, there's some ugly stuff in there for certain people. Which people? Well, I'll tell you. (laughs) When someone regards me with disdain, they effectively become my enemy. I don't like that person anymore. You don't like me? Fine. I don't like you either. If I see them sitting across the room in Starbucks, I pretend I don't see them. If I happen to pass by them in the checkout line at Walmart, I pretend I don't see them. If I see them spill their venti double shot, skinny caribou macchiato, I might even smile a little bit on the inside. Seven dollars for that coffee serves you right. Why, Coop? Why are you being awful like that? I'll tell you all, because my pride is hurt. My pride is hurt. I can't understand why they don't like me. I am such a good person. You should like me. Like, I've got a good heart, and I try hard. You should like me. I don't understand why you don't like me. That hurts my pride. Why don't you understand me? Why do you misunderstand me? I am a good communicator. You should understand me. Jesus says, I am going to have enemies in the sense that there are going to be people who are going to not like me, who are going to misunderstand me. They may even hate me curse me, and mistreat me, but I am not to hate them, curse them, or mistreat them. Now, the true implication of it all is this. Jesus' intent is that I would not consider anyone my enemy. As far as Jesus is concerned, Jason Cooper doesn't have enemies. Now, they might think of me as their enemy, but I don't have enemies. I don't think that way about them. I may be theirs, but they're not mine. I don't have a list of enemies. I don't. I don't have a list of enemies anywhere, no matter how they think about me. Well, look, let's be reasonable. Now, it might be bearable if we could stop there. I I could probably, folks, I could probably get through life with not hating, cursing, or mistreating anybody. Probably. But Jesus isn't reasonable about this stuff at all. He's completely weird and unrealistic about this whole love your enemies thing. Jesus is not content with the absence of negatives. If you're taking notes, write that one down. If you're not taking notes, write that one down. Jesus is not content 
with the absence of negatives. This is where it gets crazy. This is where it, it gets just completely unreasonable. Because Jesus said, if they slap you on the cheek, you give them the other one too. If someone takes your coat, then you let them take your favorite sweater as well. Whatever they demand, this is how unreasonable it is. Whatever they demand, you give it to them, and then you don't pursue getting your stuff back. Seriously, Jesus? It gets worse. Remember, Jesus was speaking to a cultural situation that was unique to the Jews of the time. They, they were occupied by Rome. Now, the Romans did not observe the cultural niceties of please and thank you. They had a sense of right due to military might, and they had the might to back it up. They were bullies, and they mistreated the Israelites, and they wrote and enforced laws that mistreated and abused the Jews. This, it wasn't democracy. It wasn't social justice. This was a total might-makes-right situation. We can tell you what to do, and you just got to suck it up, buttercup, because if you don't, we'll crucify you right there on the side of the road. It's kind of like what happens when somebody mistreats us or abuses us, our sense of, of personal justice and self-preservation, just it screams against this Jesus stuff that he's teaching right now. I mean, if we do it the way that Jesus says, then we're going to end up basically looking like doormats. Not very appealing. I mean, it's fine from the comfort of my living room. It's fine in theory. But in the real world, this is a hard sell. And if anyone else had said it, we could ignore it. Well, I don't have to do it. But Jesus said it. Come on, Jesus. Jesus said it. So what exactly is he getting at for us? Not some oppressed Israelite 2,000 years ago, but for you and me here in the U.S. of A. in 2020, what's he getting at? The first principle that Jesus is getting at for us here in 2020 is this. My primary response to those that I know see me as their enemy is to do good to them, bless them, and pray for them. Not people I view as my enemy, but people that I know look at me as their enemy. My primary response, Jesus expects, is for me to do good to them, to bless them, and to pray for them. Now look, left to my own devices, I'm going to resent anyone who wounds me or accuses me. Yet here is Jesus telling me, Coop, you better do them good. Not just endure them, but to actively seek to bless them. Not just tolerate them if they hurt you, but to pray for their good. Which means 
that muttering a reluctant hello in that tone that would freeze lava whenever I see them in Starbucks, that's not enough. Even not smiling whenever they spill their caramel macchiato, it's not enough. Even not kicking them in the ribs whenever they're bent over trying to wipe it up, not enough. Even even helping them wipe it up off the floor, it's not enough. Because if that was all that was required, then, folks, I would be the first on the floor with a paper towel, and then I could just sit back smug and content in my own righteousness. But Jesus, he's not even done yet. Because just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, here it comes. It's so much worse than that. Let me tell you how bad it is. Jesus actually expects me and you, because you're not off the hook. He expects us to actively seek ways to do those enemies good. He expects me to put forth effort and resources to bless them. Jesus, he's he's calling us to this radically different behavior that challenges the way people act on an instinctive level. He's calling us to do, Steve, what would be least expected. It's not only don't hit them back. It's love that person enough to do what benefits them most in that situation and give them the other cheek. It's not only let them take your coat. It's love that person who is making your life miserable. Love them enough and give them your sweater too. This is a, this is a radical, it's not just compliance, which is hard enough. Instead, this is a radical, weird, strange type of enemy love to a degree that we actively engage in a behavior that will challenge what people have done or said. Here's what I mean. What's a slap on the, what's a slap on the cheek? What's a slap in the face? If somebody slaps you in the face, what is that? What's the motivation behind that? Hmm? It's an insult. If I want to hurt somebody, I'm not going to slap them. I'm going to ball up and hit them in the grill. If I'm trying to hurt somebody, if somebody slaps you, they're not trying to hurt you. They're insulting you. It's a different motivation. It's a show of contempt. It's meant to hurt your pride. A slap is meant to demean you or dismiss you, to relegate you to to something lower than they are. By offering the other cheek, you're showing that you're indifferent to the insult. It's a different perspective. 
I'm not giving in to the, to the physical aggression of a bully. I'm showing you that your attempt to injure my pride isn't going to register with me. And by letting someone take your sweater and your coat, you're not being a wimp. You're showing this outrageous generosity and a perspective on life that values people over possessions. You see, it's, it's a different frame. It's a different framework. And by not demanding back what has been taken from you, then you're not being a spineless doormat. You're showing that life is not defined. My life is not defined by what I have. What Jesus is trying to show us here in Luke 6 is this completely different model of what it means to be human and to be a child of God. Reputation, rights, possession, those things can matter to you, but not as much as people. Or at least that's how it should be, according to Jesus. Okay. But why? I got you, but why? Well, it shouldn't come as a surprise. It's because that's how it was with Jesus. He didn't just teach it, he lived it. He was slapped and didn't retaliate. He was stripped bare and did not complain. He gave healing and life and blessing to everyone who asked of him. And in the end, he had everything taken from him, and he didn't demand any of it back. So we're Christians, right? Like Christ. Well, his call to be like him and live like he lived, folks, it applies to all of how he lived. We can't be selective with it and say, well, I'm going to follow how you lived in that area, Jesus, but I'm not, I'm not real keen on that one over there. Mm-mm. It doesn't work that way. So here it is. Verses 32 through 36 in Luke 6. If you love those who love you, well, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Now, our usual, typical, instinctive behavior of loving those who love us, that's a universal response. You love me, I love you. Even dogs know when people like them or don't like them. But in a world where hating those who hate you is not only accepted but expected, Jesus intends for us, his people who are like him, to be very unique and different. Like I said, we're in a different kingdom, folks. We're breathing different air and drinking water from a different fountain. 
Jesus isn't asking us to do what we cannot do. He's asking us to be who we are, his children, children of God. Loving our enemies makes us a different kind of people. Not only in our outward actions, but in the internal values that drive those actions. Loving our enemies means we are people for whom status, reputation, and possessions and rights have no hold because we have been changed to the very core of who we are rather than merely modified at the margins of our existence. You want to be like everybody else? Do you want to live life with Jesus as your bit on the side? Do you really want to live as if what Jesus said and how he lived has no bearing on the person that you are? Oh, come on, Coop. I mean, I'm pretty good in these other areas. I mean, I do come to church like Sunday and Wednesdays. I pay tithes. I get my family to church. I don't cuss at work most of the time. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, I mean, at some point I should get to skate on some of this stuff, right? You're going to have to take that up with Jesus, but I don't think it works that way. You're not that kind of, you, you wouldn't be here otherwise. You would not keep coming back to Next or to Grace Church if you were content to just disregard the parts of Jesus that you don't like. You wouldn't keep coming back. Well, folks, Jesus said, love your enemies. And that calls me and it compels you. It drives us to be more than we can be on our own because I can't do that. I can't do that. I, I got it. it, it Jesus got to help. He's got to help. It forces me to question what I really value and act on the answer to that question. It makes me stand out. It's going to make you stand out in a world where hatred, man, that's a-okay, as long as you're hating the right people. Jesus is saying, "Mm -hmm. you're not children of this world. He said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hurt you because your reward isn't here. And because your reward isn't here, you be merciful. I can't cut that out of my Bible. I can't go into you version. They haven't given me editing rights and delete that. Can't delete it. I wish I could. There's a few people who I wish I could. But Jesus said it, so I can't I can't ignore it. So that means I have to try my best to live it. So last week. I want to try this again. We ran out of time and I was too emotional last week, but. I want to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've, we've been on this love kick, right? Love as I have loved you. And we've talked about all the different ways that God demonstrates his love for us. And then based on that, if we're going to love others, then we, we show other people that we love them the same way. We accept them. We value them. And then last week, we talked about love your neighbor and who is your neighbor and what does that love look like. Now we're talking about love your enemies. Well, there's this, this one passage, and we read it last week, that's this, it's like the treatise on love. It's, it's, the, it's the final authority on love. It's 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13, verses 1 through 8. And he said, now keep in mind the context of this. Context matters. 
1 Corinthians 11 and 12, Paul's just spent a whole lot of time teaching about the gifts of the Spirit. That's spooky stuff, right? Ooh, prophecy, tongues and interpretation, gifts of healing and faith. That's like the deep spiritual stuff, right? So Paul's done all of this teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, and then he moves right out of teaching on that into this right here. So he says, if I speak in the tongue of men's or of angels, but I don't have love, I'm only, resounding, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy, so he's talking about all the stuff that he just got finished teaching. If I've got the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, discernment and wisdom, gift of knowledge, gift of wisdom. And if I have a faith, the gift of faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love. It's not doing me any good. I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking or selfish. Puts the rights or the, the, uh, the needs of other people above itself. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Well, you remember that time three years ago whenever you said, that's not love. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. I'm glad you spilled that $7 coffee. Love doesn't rejoice in evil. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. Now watch this. I'm going to tie this back together. But uh, Renita, I don't think I gave you this one, but just listen to what Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 says. Just listen because she doesn't have it. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. This is still Paul. Right. But listen to this next part. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You want to know what matters to God? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. God says what matters in your life in the end is not going to be accomplishments or your achievements, or your fame, or your wealth. The only thing that matters is having a faith that causes you to love him and love other people. And if you miss that, then you've missed the most important thing in life. Now, whenever speakers want to get your attention, they've got a lot of techniques that they can pull from, but one is repetition. Writers, speakers, they do this. They'll say something over and over again. Use parallel phrasing. And Paul says the same thing five times here in 1 Corinthians 13. The most, the most important thing is love. That's what he says. Let's look at what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 13 and 1. This would be a great place to take notes. I'm going to show you four things right here. 1 Corinthians 13 and 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels... But I do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He's saying if you don't live a life of love, then nothing you say will matter. We are really impressed by great speakers. I am a fan of great preaching and great oratory. I love to listen to great communicators. We love eloquence, we love charisma, we love humor, those people that can just draw you in and tell a story. I love to listen to Brian Tier tell a story. 
But God says, I don't care how great of a communicator you are. I don't care if you talk in tongues for an hour a day. Are you living a life of love? Great, you can talk in tongues, but can you love your neighbor? Can you love your wife and husband? What about your ex-wife or your ex-husband? What about your boss or your ex-boss? What about your pastor or ex-pastor? Can you love them? Because if you can't love them, it doesn't matter what you say. Paul said that, not me. Words without love are just noise. It gets better. Number two, if you don't live a life of love, nothing you know will matter. So if you don't live a life of love, nothing you say will matter. If you don't live a life of love, nothing you know will matter. Look at the next part. He said, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, man, we get blown away whenever a minister can prophesy and those prophecies come true. Man, we get the Holy Ghost goosebumps, and man, it's cool, and wow, look at what God did, and look at how spiritually in tune this person is. Paul's like, yeah, great. Can you love somebody? Because the last part of that verse says you, you might prophesy and, and be able to explain all these mysteries, but the last part of the verse says, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. We live in a world where knowledge is exploding. We're smarter than we've ever been, but we've got the same problems. Prejudice, racism, injustice, abuse. Why? Because we don't need more knowledge. We need more love. You might be a genius, certified, got the letter, whatever that IQ score is. I'm not even smart enough to know what the score is to be a genius. That tells you where I rank. But you might be one. Awesome. Can you love people? Because if you can't, it doesn't matter what you know. I'm about to get up in somebody's business right now. Number three. If you don't live a life of love, nothing you believe will matter. The same, same verse right there in 1 Corinthians 13 and 2. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Now, if on television tonight or on YouTube, whatever your preferred source of media is, there's some guy walking out into the back of Washington State and pointing at Mount Rainier and said, be moved and cast into the sea. And it happened? We would be freaking out. But Paul said, if you can do that, but you don't love people and live a life of love, love your neighbors, love other people the way I've loved you, love your enemies, doesn't matter. Being a follower of Christ is more than, more than a matter of believing certain truths. Now, don't get it twisted. I didn't say it didn't matter because what you believe does matter. Scripture tells us that. Doctrine, reproof, all of that matters. What you believe matters, but being a follower of Christ is more than that. It's about living a life of love, and it's, it, it, takes, it takes more than belief to please God. 
Well, Brother Jason, the thing it says, well, without faith, no man can please the Lord. So if I've got faith, I must please the Lord. Yeah, you're right. But James said faith without works is dead. Even so, well, let's go to the King James on that one. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. So a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works, but show me thy faith without thy works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Number four. Number four. If you don't have love, nothing you say matters. If you don't have love, then then nothing that you know matters. If you don't have love, nothing you believe matters. Number four, if you don't live a life of love, nothing you give will matter. Because the next verse says, this is verse three, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast. So I've given away everything that I own. And now I'm, I'm even giving my body but I don't have love, gain nothing. Does me no good. Zero goods. Sometimes we know that people don't always have pure motives. Sometimes love isn't the motivation for giving. Sometimes people give out of guilt. I'm trying to get out of guilt, so I give. Or I'm trying to get out of doing some other unpleasant task, so I'll give because that's easier. Or it's for control or for prestige. You can give for a lot of wrong motives. But the Bible says if you, if you give away everything, but you don't have love, it doesn't matter in the end. None of your giving counts if you don't have love. Wow. Wow. I think, I, I kind of think, that this whole love thing really matters to Jesus. And the way that I am going to demonstrate and live out my faith in him and my followship of him, my discipleship of him, Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples in that you love each other. So how we live, how we show our love for each other as in the little small choices that we make every day, That's what makes us a disciple. That's what makes us a follower of Christ. Not what we know, not what we say, not what we believe, not what we give, but how we live a life of love. Amen. Hey, next week we're going to look at something else Jesus said. It's not going to have to do with love, though. You're off the hook next week, but uh, I hope you come back next week. Let's pray, and we'll go. Lord, I'm just, I need help. I need help. I, I really can't think of anybody right now. Lord, right now, I can't think of anybody that I consider my enemy. There's not anybody out there right now that I just hate. But I know that there are some people that think of me as theirs because of stuff that I've done to them or expectations I haven't met or miscommunication. And it's hard for me to think about doing something actively to bless those people or do good for them. So I need help. 
And Lord, I, I, I have a little bit of knowledge about the depth and the length of some of the wounds that are in this room today. I know a few, I know a few stories that are here and the wounds that have been done and the hurts that people have carried for a long time. And it's hard for them to, to look at the person that caused those wounds and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do good to you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to actively look for a way to do good in your life. So, Lord, as, as we wrap up talking about all this stuff you said about love, I just I ask you to help us. Help us to show what we really believe. Help us to show what we really know. Lord, by living a life of love, the acts of kindness and compassion and mercy that show we're in your kingdom.